I'd uh, like to draw your attention this morning to the psalm the wind read, psalm number two, and to the twelfth verse in particular, psalm two, verse twelve, kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. I know many of you watched it yesterday, and it was quite something, wasn't it? The pageantry, the gold, the horses. They were lovely horses, weren't they? Um, and Charles III was crowned king, wasn't he? In the presence of the nation. And like I said to the children, that poignant moment when they came to swear allegiance to the newly crowned king to swear allegiance, and to his descendants. And the image there was striking, wasn't it? Those who were bowing the knee, even the archbishop, bowing the knee in submission. And you remember back, I don't know how many of you remember 1953, but even Philip came, didn't he, to kiss his wife's hand, bowing the knee, and yesterday, William, the Prince of Wales, kissed the father, didn't he, before pledging his allegiance. I don't know what your view of monarchy is here this morning. I'm sure we've got many views. <laughs> I don't know whether you're a Republican or a monarchist or a nationalist. Perhaps you're a I don't really careist. <laughs> but my text this morning. Psalm 2 verse 12 is relevant to you, my friend, whether you're a Tory, whether you're a socialist, whether you're a communist or a monarchist or I, I don't careist. The Lord has led me today to consider the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and He desires your allegiance this morning, whatever your political view. Wherever you come from, whatever colour your skin is, whatever language you speak, this is one king that we must swear allegiance to. So I want to give you a glimpse of his kingdom, try and woo you, but if I can't woo you, I'm going to warn you, okay? I'm going to warn you, because the king is good, but he is worthy of your attention. He's worthy of your allegiance. He's worthy of your soul, your soul. And the Bible calls him a special king, an anointed king, the one who is the ultimate reference of what we read earlier in the second psalm. I'll just pray quickly for his help as preacher and hearer. Father, oh, may the king be lifted now. We want to see King Jesus, and may the hearer see him, and may the preacher lift him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So did you notice four voices in the psalm? Okay, I'm going to try and do the psalm. The first voice, verses 1 to 3. If you've got your Bibles, try and follow. The voice of earthly rebellion. The second voice, 4 to 6. The voice of divine derision. The third voice, verse 7 to 9. The voice of the anointed king. And finally, which is our text, 
the voice of warning and refuge. Two sides. The voice of warning and refuge in verses 10 to 12. Are you ready? Let's go. The first voice, the voice of earthly or earthly, it's up to you, earthly or earthly rebellion. In Philip Pullman's Dark Materials, and probably not many of you have read this book, but one of the characters, Lord Azrael, wages war on heaven. And he wages war in particular on this figure that's introduced in the books as the authority. And he undermines the authority throughout the books, eventually hoping to form the Republic of Heaven. And this idea is that this will be a Republic without the control of the authority. Now, the books end with a, a very striking image. Those of you who have read the books will know. The authority, who obviously is a depiction of God, dies as an old, senile, irrelevant man. Now, from a literary point of view, the depiction of God thus is the complete opposite to Aslan, isn't it? with Lewis. Two works of fiction, two very different depictions of God, and two completely different voices. And Psalm 1 and 2 are an introduction to the whole book of the Psalms. If you get these Psalms, you get the whole book, okay? And ultimately, they speak about God's rule in the face of human and devilish opposition, okay? That's, if you get that, you'll, it'll help you with the rest of the Psalms. Who pens this psalm? Well, David, written in a, by a king in Iron Age, Israel. A small place, irrelevant in many ways. His name is David of giant fame. Some of you will have heard of David and Goliath. And this boy became a chieftain. He became a poet. But he also became a king. And in 2 Samuel 7, good King David, bear with me, okay, I have to tell you this, wanted to build a house for God, a glorious temple, fair play to him. But what God promises him there in that chapter is not you, David, that's going to build me a house. I will build a house for you, for you, a royal family a dynasty, like I said, with the children. And the early reign of Solomon the king is the partial fulfillment of that promise. And God uses that little royal family as a little picture, a little picture of how he will rule among his people. He will provide a just king, a righteous king, a relevant king, a servant king, okay? But Solomon fails in that role, as has every other king throughout the line of David and beyond to the line of Windsor, the line of Bourbon, the line of Kineva, for you Welsh people out there. Each king has failed because the eyes of this psalm is on a better king, the ultimate king. 
yeah? The ultimate king, the culminating king of the line of David, who is both the son of David and the son of God. Amazing. But he's opposed. Look at verse 1. Why do the nations rage, or the heathen rage, and the people imagine and plot a vain thing? It's a rhetorical question, and tone is important here with this voice of earthy opposition. Why, why do the heathen rage? Why do the nations rage? It's folly. This is not, why do the nations rage? Why do the nations rage? It makes me think of Goliath, the giant, trespassing on God's land threatening God's king. And that's been happening ever since, hasn't it? The question here expresses astonishment, not hopelessness. Why do the heathen rage? And the people plot or imagine a vain thing. The word vain there is empty. A mercy alive. We have empty words today, don't we? On the telly. The Instagram influencer with their mighty words and they're empty. Yeah? Oh, I was on Facebook the other day. I do go on Facebook. <laughs> and somebody put a video up of Ricky Gervais, the comedian. I don't remember who put it up. And it shook me. He took the mick out of God. He took the mick out of creation. He took the mick out of sin. He reread the Genesis. And ha <laughs> you know, ha, it was meant to be really funny. But it wasn't, you know. It wasn't funny. And the Putins of this world are mentioned in Psalm 2, aren't they? You've got the comedians muttering. You've got the kings muttering. The nations are thronging. The people are muttering. Blah, blah, blah. And what are they all saying? Look at verse 3. Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Their spiritual republicanism. I don't want the king. I don't want him. I don't want the God, and I, the God, and I don't want the king. I want to be free. I want to do it my way. My way. I want to be my own king. That same spirit, my friends, put Jesus on the cross. We shall not have this man ruling over us. Is that you this morning? Will you bow? Have you bowed? Don't tell me what I am, preacher. You're just a boy. Don't tell me to submit. The Bible teaches us, and you all know this deep down, you are rebels, rebels, republicans spiritually, through and through, through and through. In Acts 4, Peter actually quotes this psalm, doesn't he? And do you remember what he says afterwards in Acts 4? He brings it right home to his listeners. And he says in verse 27, For truly against your holy, holy holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles, here they come the Gentiles, the people of Israel were gathered together. 
You're there. You're there too. This multi-ethnic conspiracy against the king. You're part of it by nature. You're a sinner. You're hostile to the king by nature. There's no middle way, yeah? You can't be agnostic. (laughs) That really annoys me, I'm sorry. You can't be agnostic. Look at verse 2. Against the Lord and against his anointed. You're either for or you're against this morning. Don't tell me you're in the grey. If you're in the grey, you're against. Because God is so clear. No man cometh to the Father but through me. But through me. Reject Jesus Christ here this morning. You're rejecting God. You're rejecting eternal life. Charles prayed yesterday, didn't he? Um, And all the religions were there, weren't they? Even the Baha'i, I was told, in the vestry were there. And the Buddhists were there. And the Muslims were there. And we, you know, we... Lovely. But his prayer was that with those of every faith and belief, that we would discover the ways of peace. Now, humanly speaking, we desire peace, don't we, in the nations? But my friends, he then asked that it would be done in Jesus' name. My friends, we love our friends who are Muslim. We love our friends who are Hindus. We love our friends who are Jews. We love our friends who are Baha'i. But there is only one way to heaven. There is only one way to God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, woman, or child comes to the Father but through me. It's clear. And you might think, dear me, this is, this is quite stern stuff this morning. Well, yes, it's because it's your soul that's at stake. It took a reading, didn't it, from our Prime Minister, a Hindu himself, to remind us yesterday who the Lord Jesus Christ really is, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him all things were created, that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible or invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principality or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things And by him, all things, I've forgotten, consist. (laughs) By nature, we are alienated from this image of the invisible God. By nature, you are a Republican. By nature, you are a rebel, as am I. But this is futile. The ha-ha-ha of Ricky. The words of Putin, they're futile. Psalm 2 is relevant because it's not Ricky laughing in Psalm 2. But look at the second voice, the voice of heavenly derision in verse 4. He who sits in heaven shall laugh. The Lord, secondly again, shall hold them in derision. This is the divine response to opposition against God. A human action here is applied to God. 
laughing, laughing. Look closely at the text here. Our God, the sovereign creator, the supreme ruler, is immovable. He laughs. He holds them in derision. He will speak to them, notice I'm going through these words now, in wrath. By doing what? What will he say? As for me, I have set my appointed one, my king. Hallelujah. <laughs> we can all sigh now, you see. Because we're not, we don't have to stay as rebels. We don't have to stay as republicans. There is a prince. The big storyline of the Bible, for those of you who are new to Christianity, is how God acts so that the kingdoms of all this world come to acknowledge his rule once more. And you, and you. Humans were created as stewards at first. We were gardeners, viceroys of the planet. We were like under-rulers. But then there was this adversary, a devil, a Satan, the Satan, who took the throne, as it were, promising us kingdoms of our own. And he became the ruler of this world, and he's ruling you now. That very thought of, I wish this man would shut up, that's because you're in the kingdom of darkness, you see. The answer of heaven, though, to all our rebellion, to all our mockery, to all our ha-ha-ha, the answer of heaven to us even kissing a foreign usurper, Satan, is what? Look at the text. God's provision for you, as is God's judgment, two ways, is in a person. It comes together in God's anointed one, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's on Zion. Look at verse 6 there. On Zion, that small little hill of 11 acres, <laughs> that temple would be built. That little insignificant city would grow. It was only meant to be a picture, just like the king is a picture of an eternal city-state made up of God's people from every nation and tribe and language all bowing the knee to King Jesus. Listen to one commentator here. Through weakness and insignificance, God's rule on earth was established by Jesus, the God-man. Like David, he becomes the humble, poor, oppressed, righteous one. By his life of obedience to God and his atoning death, he has gained the victory over Satan. That might all be foreign to you if you're new, but bear with. He has been raised to that supreme position at the Father's right hand, where he reigns till all his enemies are under his feet. If you fail to grasp anything this morning, you must be born again. <laughs> Is that all? Why do you keep preaching, George Whitfield? You must be born again. When, why do you keep preaching the gospel every Sunday morning? It's because you must be born again. This isn't simple theology. It is the theology, the most important theology. 
that you must bow the knee to King Jesus. You must. God has provided you with a king. And he's an unexpected king, isn't he? Born in a manger. Do you remember that? A working class man. Is anyone from the working class here? Lovely. He was a working class man. He wasn't in all that gold and splendor that we saw yesterday. And he was even a Nazarene. That dump of a place. I won't mention anywhere in Wales. But it was a dump of a place. And the wise men were looking for him, weren't they? And they went there, perhaps on their camels. Where is he? Where is he? Who is to be born king of the Jews? They went to the palace. He wasn't in the palace. They went to the city. He wasn't in the city. They went then to the hamlet, to the dump of the dumps. There's the king. There's the king. Does it offend you that Jesus of Nazareth is your Messiah this morning? He lived a life I couldn't live. He was the perfect man. He died the death I deserve. And you know you deserve it because you're a rebel. And the crucifixion, the cross was the rebel's death, the death of the Republican, the spiritual Republican, if you like, or back then, those who would not bow to Caesar. He took my sin and my sorrow. He made them his very own. He took my rebellion. He suffered and died alone. It's laughable, isn't it? I have set my king this is not just a word for the rulers. This is not just a word for the smart Alec television people, comedians, and influencers. It's a word for you. It's a word for you. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Believe the good news. What that means is that God so loved the world that he gave us his royal son. That if you believe on him, turn him from your sin, you shall be saved. You need this king, my friends. You need him. Listen to John 1, 1 John 3 verse 8. He who sins, that's you and me, is of the devil, which means adversary. For the devil has sinned from the beginning, as have we. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. There is light, my friends. There's hope for you, all right? Not any belief in self and self-help will help you in that final chapter of your life. But thirdly, look at verse 7. Not only does the, the voice of divine derision, but then we hear from the man himself. The anointed one speaks. Verse 7, I will declare the decree. This is the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. In order to understand the language here, we need to go back to David. Remember, David is like the dress rehearsal. Back when God made a promise with David in 2 Samuel, he spoke to him of language of parenthood. He said, 
I will be his father, and he shall be my son. Now, I love... Oh, Seth's gone. I love Seth. <laughs> he looks like me. He comes from me. But this is, the dif- this is a bit different here, my friends. He declares that David is now his son. A legal language, eh? What is the content of this legal decree? This is important for us, okay? First of all, the decree talks about the legitimacy of this king. The phrase, I have begotten you, is like saying, I have now become your father. It's speaking here of the king's coronation, which is alluded to in verse 6. The begotten in verse 7 there, that's why it's good for you to have your Bibles, you can actually follow. The the begotten in verse 7 is similar to that word of installed or set in verse 6, okay? He is the rightful king. We must be careful here. I don't know if there's any members of the cult here. If so, welcome. You've come to the right place. Um, must be careful here not to confuse Jesus' sonship as Messiah, the anointed king, which is what this psalm talks about, with the eternal sonship of the second person of the Trinity. Okay, there's, they're connected. There's a, we mustn't panic in this verse, thinking that somehow Jesus became the Son of God or became divine. That's not what the verse is saying. Listen to the creed. Some of you love creeds. I love the creed. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not created, being of one substance with the Father. So this verse is not saying that Jesus became divine. Let's just get that out of the way. Believe in God, John says, believe also in me. He never abandoned his deity when he came to earth. Thou who was rich beyond all splendor, all for love's sake became poor, but he didn't not be God, if you know what I mean. Oh, but there's a scope of his reign here too in the decree, isn't there? The decree in verse 8 talks about The nations, ask me, I will give you an inheritance and the ends of the earth as your possession. That's why missionary activity is important. Christianity isn't a Welsh thing or a white man's thing, okay? It means that Christians from Fiji can have fellowship with Christians from America because we're all part of the kingdom, Do you remember Christ's words in Matthew 28? All authority, it's linked to this psalm, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's a great scope to his reign, but there's a force to his reign to look there, I'm going quickly now. Verse 9, you shall break them, you shall dash them. You see, the kingdom of our Lord does not come because the world welcomes his reign. Oh, welcome, welcome, Jesus. And over time, we slowly get better. That's the liberal view. No, no, no. 
<laughs> it comes because Christ imposes, Christ establishes, Christ will reign by force on a rebellious people. That sounds harsh, but it's really comforting. His grace is irresistible. And when He calls you, you will come. You will come. As Messiah, He steps in where Adam failed. And when He rose from the dead, the resurrection, it was publicly and powerfully revealed that Jesus is the Son of God. But now, we come to the last voice, the voice of warning and of refuge. And it comes from verse 9. They're all linked, these voices. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry. There's a danger to avoid and a joy to experience. A danger to avoid and a joy to experience. I enjoy walking, and in the Pyrenees, you've got two types of grass. <laughs> you've got this shabby-looking grass, which is actually quite nice to sit on. And you've got this lush green grass high up. And you think, oh, I'll have a picnic there. <laughs> and you sit on the grass, and it looks good. The views are usually good. But if you sit on it, you start sliding. And especially if you're a bigger chap like me, once you start sliding, you, you can't stop, you know. And um, I hadn't listened to my father's warning because he warned me the year before, avoid the nice-looking grass when you're sitting down. Avoid it. My friends, heed the warning this morning. Your life may seem good. Your way seems the best way. And yet, what kind of minister would I be if I did not warn you as well as woo you to Jesus? Once the king is known to you, you must submit to him. The Bible warns us here about the anger of God. Because by nature, we curse the king. The Bible tells us to kiss the king. To kiss the king. You see, by nature, we are rebels. By nature, we are heading to a place, yes, a place, which Jesus keeps telling them about. This is not very 21st century now, what I'm about to say, but you need to hear it. We're hurtling towards a darkness we cannot comprehend, a darkness which the Bible calls hell. You see, God's provision and God's judgment comes in one man, Jesus Christ. He's the one who will not break the broken uh, flax or snuff out the reed, but he's also the one who will smash you like a plate on the floor. That sounds really rough, doesn't it? Christ is the one who will grieve over you, but he's also the figure God will laugh at your arrogance. Have you ever read Revelation 6? Just because Revelation is speaking in the language of signs and symbols doesn't detract from its reality, okay? Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, 
and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. I don't know how many lambs you've seen, but they're not, they're not like that usually, are they? Wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come. And who is able to stand? Are you ready? Were you expecting a nice coronation sermon this morning? The king has come to save, but unless you bow the knee, he is coming to judge us. To judge you. Kiss the sun. Look at our text. Lest he be angry. Somebody said to me, oh, you smile an awful lot in the pulpit. Yes, I do, because the gospel is good news. But there is a time when I'm not smiling. Because this is serious, my friends. I don't know what your background is. I don't know who you are. But kiss the sun, lest he be angry. Then comes the smile. Yeah? Blessed, happy are all those who put their trust in him. In him. Have you done that yet? You see, I wouldn't be up here if this wasn't serious. I say that again and again. And I conclude here. Lloyd Webber wrote that lovely song yesterday, didn't he? Based on 98 Psalm. And apparently our sovereign, King Charles, may the king live forever, by the way. I'm long live the king in the spiritual sense and the physical sense. But when he spoke to Lloyd Webber about Psalm 98 and the, the, the themes behind verse 6 of that psalm speaks of shouting joyfully before the Lord our King. And apparently King Charles was quite moved and sobered. Why? He said to Andrew Lloyd Webber, I, I, I'm not the king really, am I? I'm not the king. And my friends, you're not the king this morning. You might think you've got a control of things. You might think you've got your life all sorted out, your own little kingdoms flourishing. The Lord is king. The only way to flee from his anger is to find refuge, safety in his mercy in his mercy. So my last question to you this morning, in whom or in what is your confidence lying? Is it yourself or the king? The king. You see, he's coming again. Are you ready? Are you ready? The king is coming. A new creation is coming. Swear allegiance to him. Please. There was a thing, wasn't there, going out to the nation that we all have to swear. Well, we can. There was an option, wasn't there? 
you, you, we would like it if you would swear allegiance to the king at the same time. This isn't an option. This isn't an option. Believe on the Lord. This simple view, right? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Can you say amen to that? Yeah? We're very quiet here as a church. Yeah? And that's all right. But I want to hear an amen in your heart. Because solid joys and lasting treasures, not for the Hindu, not for the agnostic, definitely not for the atheist, sorry, not for the Muslim, not even, well, not even for anyone. Doesn't matter what religion you believe, solid joys and lasting treasure. Do you know the next bit? None. But Zion's children know. Are you marching to Zion? I am. I hope to see you there. Because it is a place. And we have a king. May we worship him even this morning. For his name's sake. Amen. And if any of that was strange to you or new, ask someone. Talk about it. Because we have a Jesus who is not only an angry God... He's also the lover of our soul. Let me to thy bosom fly. Let's sing together hymn number 514 if you're listening at home.
and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Thank you that as well as being the judge, you are now a saviour, that there is a life for the look at the crucified one. There is a balm in Gilead. Oh, may we all bow the knee, kiss the Son, lest he be angry. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, and the, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit breathe upon us now and forevermore. Amen.